Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's Michael C. Bouchard, host of the Night Stalker of the Attack podcast. This is episode number 44. Today's episode is going to be entitled The Connecticut Cult, The Broken Cross. You know, for most of us who have any type of religious um, background, some of the Standards are always morals, ethics, truth, trust, honesty, loyalty. But what happens when you become a member of a group claiming to be a religious group where none of that applies? The first real notable cults that the media picked up on years ago was um, the uh, cult from Waco, Texas, uh, the Branch Davidian, uh, Jimmy Jones, all those type of cults where at the end only destructive doom and and probably an unneedish not murder well in some cases I can guess you can consider murder but the demise of the cult for whatever reason now what you have to understand about cults is they are more satanic then they are religious. The cult we're going to be talking today, actually um, flourished in my home state of Connecticut. It, it began back in 19, 1968 when a man named Julius Shacknow had been serving on a... Uh, a Navy uh, warboat. He was a radio operator, telecommunication. Um, During the conflict, he was uh, injured and brought to the uh, island of Guam for uh, medical treatment. While in Guam, he said that he began seeing things that were religious. He said God spoke to him. He also was told that he was the son of God. The interesting thing about Julius Shacknow, this religion was Christianity. He was Jewish. Just like many of the upper um, members of the cult, historically and culturally, they were Jewish. So in 1960, here and above, a little after, Julius began to read the Bible intently. 
um, he went to Bible classes. He was part of churches. He was involved in schools that were religiously orientated. So after all of this happened, in about 1968, he was living in New Jersey. And part of his new claimed religious uh, beliefs, I guess we can call it, he began having little meetings at his house, uh, having people over. However, it quickly turned into a kind of covered um, venue to have sexual uh, ideas brought into the group. And when I'm talking about sexual ideas, I'm talking about swapping wives, swapping girlfriends, so on and so forth. <clears throat> now this was 1968. In 1968 he met a uh, developer uh, named Paul Sweetman. Now Sweetman, remember, keep, keep his, his name in mind. While uh, in New Jersey, um, Julius Shack now, now referred to his brother Julius, was married living in an apartment in Park Avenue in New York City. Not the Park Avenue we're thinking about, but a residential neighborhood. Shackner was continuously, or Julius, Brother Julius, was continuously fighting with his uh, next-door neighbor. And one of Julius's, or Brother Julius's, um, threats to this man was that he would one day burn in hell. Well, coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, at about 2 or 3 uh, a.m. in the morning, the apartment that this gentleman had been uh, living in mysteriously um, killing uh, seven children. Now, It wasn't, <clears throat> Sweetman had, or Julius had been questioned about the, um, about the, the fire, which he pleaded not having any knowledge to. <clears throat> and there is a newspaper article here from the 70s, early 70s, detectives probe, probing for arson, which I would have at first glance given Maybe, maybe he, there was a possibility he didn't do it. 
the fire, uh, his terminology of that he was going to burn in hell, um, a big fire. <clears throat> well, you know, it kind of raises some red flags. <clears throat> now, the individual that he was threatening actually lived along with one other child. Uh, seven children died. And suspiciously, when I had uh, contacted um, the DA's office uh, in that town at, at Curtin, uh, they had um, no file, uh, no records of the, uh, the incident, except for what was in local newspapers. <clears throat> okay, so we figure, all right, well, at the time, there were a lot of really crazy things going on in the that apartment that Julie, uh, Brother Julius lived in. Um, <clears throat> at the time, he had swapped wives with Paul Sweetman. Paul Sweetman's wife was uh, Minnie Sweetman. Minnie Sweetman had lived in the apartment with uh, brother Julius and uh, two daughters who throughout the uh, relationship sexually abused the daughters. This was never reported to the police. <clears throat> Later in the 1980s, um, there were civil suits brought against uh, brother Julius, uh, which were uh, settled out of court for the sexual abuse. Um, so after the fire, with all the sexual abuse going on, many sweetmen moved to Danville, uh, Danville, New Jersey, in attempts to get away from uh, Julius. <clears throat> now, coincidentally, he had gone over to Minnie Sweetman's house that day and reported finding her unconscious on the floor. In his statement, he believed that she was trying to change a light bulb, fell off a chair, and struck her head. Well, I don't believe that. <clears throat> Not for a second. And within a time span, eight people had perished with Brother Julius being the common denominator and the last person to see all of these people. So what I believe in an attempt to escape further investigation, let me just comment and note that ne neither police, two separate police departments were investigating the uh, <clears throat> The Pashquist, the Seven Children's Homicide, and uh, many, many Sweetman's, <clears throat> quote, accidental fall. Um, there was no communication at that time between police departments in, you know, the type of manner we have today. <clears throat> where, you know, bullets are sent back and forth. Hey, do you know anything about this? Was this guy involved in anything? Are you investigating him? Uh, we didn't have that. So both, both cases were unknown to each other department. 
but in retrospect, if we look at it now, the cases were too similar, too close, person of interest, last person to see the individuals before they, they passed away. So what I believe in an escape to get himself out of there before any further investigation continued, he, he <clears throat> moved to Trumbull, Connecticut. Now, he didn't randomly move to Trumbull, Connecticut like a lot of people think. He moved to uh, Trumbull, Connecticut because he had a relative that was living there. I think it was up on Wrangley Drive. <clears throat> So once Julius moved to Connecticut, bringing Sweetman and the rest of his uh, church, if one wants to call it that, uh, I call it group, they call it church. Um, in my mind, there's not too much of a difference, but so... <clears throat> This is where it gets interesting. You have to realize, especially you younger people that don't usually listen to my show, maybe this is something you need to listen to, or at least if you know somebody in the late teens, 20s and 30s, um, and you know people that are interested or getting very religious in certain groups that aren't... Um, established churches or anything like that what you need to let them know is that they are very susceptible and vulnerable to people like this groups like this they will exploit your money they will sexually abuse you your spouse your family members your children and <clears throat> you will not do say anything that they don't want you to say. Now, for a group like this, a person, you would think what they do is they first start out by um, having you meditate. Why would they have you meditate? Well, when a person is meditating, what do they do? They clear their minds. It's like plowing a field. If there's grass in the field, you can't, it's hard to plant. But once the plow comes through and the discus goes over, there's nothing but dirt. It's easy to plant. Same way your mind works. Now, for those who are confrontational or stubborn, <clears throat> they are actually the easiest people to brainwash. Why? Because they're drawn in by the, by the challenge. But once their, their mind becomes overwhelmed, they become subservial. Have it what it may be. So as the cult grew larger in Connecticut, it found its home in New Britain, Farmington, and the surrounding areas. It grew at, at its peak probably over 500 people. And believe it or not, that cult still exists today. They deny that there's an existence. However, um, I've interviewed people who <clears throat> are very familiar with it. 
The cult's name was called The Work. You can look up Julia Shack now. You can look up the word work. You can look up Paul Sweetman. And it's all there. While in Connecticut, um, Paul Sweetman, who was a, I guess they considered him an apostle, or, or the second in command of this nefarious type of group, <clears throat> was the businessman. He opened up five um, real estate companies. They own uh, construction companies, <clears throat> landscaping companies, so on and so forth. Grossing in over $2 million in one year. However, a lot of criminal activity was going on within the real estate uh, businesses. Paul Sweetman would report, now you have to remember these were all, all the employees were cult members, getting a very substandard pay compared to any other business, you know, at the time. What Paul Sweetman would do, he would report to the state of Connecticut that he laid six people off <clears throat> and as they were collecting unemployment they would also be working for Paul Sweetman in the real estate business. And this was continual, continuous practices, uh, inflating property values uh, and so on and so forth. So as all this was going on we still had you know, physical abuse of um, cult members. Um, they would be brought up on stage. Uh, their pants would be pulled down. They would be uh, beat, uh, humiliated. And to really get some good input on it is if you go to Julia Sweetman and just put it in video, uh, you will see the um, a reporter had, I forgot his name, had done a couple which were really good. Uh, I watched a couple interviews of um, Julius himself. <clears throat> you could tell that um, the elevator wasn't going all the way to the top. Uh, he had gone from an apostle um, in the beginning to a prophet, from a prophet to Jesus, from Jesus to God. <clears throat> as, a, as a matter of fact, his uh, letterhead said, from the desk of God. Um, he actually uh, credited himself for the uh, the uh, John De Denver and um, <clears throat> uh, what the hell is his name? Joe Burns for calling the TV studio and telling him to make the uh, Oh God movie with uh, with uh, Burns and Denver. Um, which we know is not true. He also accredited himself for uh, the, uh, back in the 70s, the uh, theatrical uh, version of Hair. Um, <clears throat> he was just completely delusional. As a matter of fact, he would make, del you know, delusional statements that he was going to raise this one from the dead. 
that uh, stop taking your medicine, you'll be fine, at which point uh, several people almost died. Um, none of the prophecies which we, I guess we would consider that he made ever really occurred. Um, he was just kind of a uh, he was a con artist. And you know it seems kind of weird but if you look at cult leaders and cult activities uh, they're basically extortionists for cash um, they're sexual predators uh, they, they have sex with females uh, in the, the group regardless of age they don't care so and this is every cult this isn't just one so don't be fooled by thinking you're going into somewhere different because you're not. I had originally attempted to uh, contact uh, Karen Shack now, who has a different name. Uh, now, well, on my LinkedIn account, because I wanted to ask her, I wanted to uh, confirm my suspicions about the uh, apartment fire that killed the seven uh, children. Um, she refused, like most brainwashed people not to um, she wouldn't get back to me because that would have linked her biological father to the crime and believe it or not <clears throat> these people knew his shack now had passed away in uh, 96 there are people today who still believe that Julius Shack now has some type of power over him? Then, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, completely absurd, um, brainwashed ideas. Um, you know, that's all I can say about that without going into a, a, a tirade of some some sort. So years went on. Cult diminished a little bit in numbers. Uh, a lot of the uh, family members of individuals that had been involved in the cult uh, actually went and uh, what the cult would call kidnapped their members because they were adults and they could do what they want. Technically, I don't consider that kidnapping or an abduction because quite. Quite honestly, to be a member of a cult and adult association, you have to you have to be cognizant of what's going on. A person that is brainwashed uh, in any manner is not cognizant. So, therefore, <clears throat> is it really abduction or is it uh, protecting the welfare, physical and mental welfare of a an individual? That's what I would, would claim it to be. Um, a lot of these people were deprogrammed, which basically meant that they had to, um, <clears throat> their brain, after after being brainwashed for such a long time, had to be reprogrammed. Some worked, some didn't work. Uh, there were numerous accounts of wives, um, <clears throat> husbands just abandoning their families, uh, giving houses to this uh, wingnut, uh, all their finances to this, this guy and uh, in reality getting nothing back.
except a uh, a one-way ticket to the fiery uh, fire lake I guess um, so as this went on several years later uh, this is kind of an interesting story several years later I was going on uh, WPLR uh, the Chaz and AJ show uh, in Connecticut is 99.1 FM to uh, go over the Dennis Lloyd Martin case and uh, the night before I, I got a call from uh, Terry Sutton who is the host of the um, um, the Savage Watch uh, webpage and he said hey you know um, they found this this bone or leg bone in uh, Shuttle Meadow uh, Golf Course up in New Britain and um, I think it's Paul Paul Sweetman now this was the second guy okay now you have to realize kind of to just take a step back Paul Sweetman's first wife was still around they actually had their own tr trinity she he was God Paul Sweetman was some type of apostle and she was the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit was still wandering around. <clears throat> the only thing that the Holy Spirit didn't have throughout this whole um, this group organization was the, the power that she wanted. So Paul Sweetman one, one day just happens to disappear. And several years later I get this call from Terry saying, hey, I think that leg bone is uh, Paul Sweetman. So, sure enough, uh, the New Britain Police Department did a DNA test, and who, who did it happen to be? Whose leg? Paul Sweetman. So, we know Paul Sweetman is now deceased. Um, further down the line, I had mentioned, so in retrospect, what happened was Dennis Lloyd Martin, um, that kind of uh, show, went off the face of the radar. Uh, we started talking about uh, Brother Julius and Paul Sweetman. And I must have hit the old switch button to the state police, the FBI, and New Britain saying, hey, this dude knows who this bone belongs to. Um, <clears throat> but what I didn't realize was that the FBI for over 10 years had known that Rudy Hannon was involved in the murder of Paul Sweetman. However, under proffer doctrine that he had made while serving time in Nevada with the FBI was that <clears throat> he would give them the information they wanted, but they could not use his his uh, statements against him in any type of uh, murder case against um, Paul Sweetman. So <clears throat> for almost a decade, um, Paul Sweetman's murder was laid stagnant. Uh, and then me, the big mouth, opened my mouth and 
the red bells and the whistles started flying and um, I let the cat out of the bag and um, Rudy Hannon and uh, another individual and his name is kind of an odd name. I have to actually go back into my notes and I do this occasionally because uh, Sorok Minerly um, they pointed the fingers at each other when they were questioned. He did it, he did it, he did it, he did it. Well, what a lot of people didn't know, neither the police department, the FBI, the Britain Police Department, nobody knew, which I found out, not by accident, but research, was that Rudy Hannon was actually the biological son of Julius Shacknow, her brother Julius. Now, at the time of Sweetman's murder, Rudy Hannon had been going out with Sorek's mother. Hmm, interesting family triangle. Let's keep murdering the family. <clears throat> so they proceeded to take uh, Paul Sweetman to a, uh, a warehouse <clears throat> and beat him to death, chop him into little pieces, and throw him into a refrigerator. Burying the parts <clears throat> all over the place. Unfortunately, when they buried the leg down by um, Shuttle on a golf course, uh, some type of predator, raccoon, fox, coyote, dug it up. There was also um, part of his arm found under a shed in... Um, Sorek Minerly's backyard with um, his wedding ring which had the name Joan on it. <clears throat> Joan Shack, Shack now was the, um, the third wheel in the cog and uh, unfortunately she passed away in 2011 uh, but she had um, set up this uh, murder. So Within all of this, you know, I hope the lesson to be learned is that these groups are not fundamentally religious at all. They are fundamentally criminal. They are um, <clears throat> they are involved in sexual perversion, deviation. Uh, they will financially destroy you, mentally destroy you. Uh, you know, in a, in a fashion that your brain will be able to drip out of a, a plastic uh, sandwich bag. So, with that being in mind, there is a book out there that is completely about this whole thing. It's probably the most uh, detailed book about it. It's called The Connecticut Cult, The Broken Cross. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, it has everything you need to know. A lot of things you probably don't want to know about uh, Brother Julius. And uh, with that being said, uh, I am Michael C. Bouchard, host of the Night Stalker podcast. And uh, this is episode number um, 43, The Connecticut Cult with Broken Cross. We will see you on the next round.